Hi gorgeous, this is episode number 93 with the amazing entrepreneur Ian Altman. Hi, this is Ian Altman. You are listening to Heart Cells with Christine Schlonsky. Enjoy. Well, I am so happy and excited about today's guest, Ian Altman, who is a real sales guru. I love the conversation and I hope you will too, because he shared amazing, amazing advice. So make sure you hop on over to christineschlonsky.com, find the podcast tab for the transcripts, for the show notes, for the resources we are sharing, as well as sign up for the empowerment notes. These are my weekly notes going into your inbox where I share the latest news on Heart Sales Podcast, as well as some insights I usually do not share in my blogs or in any of my other content. So you want to make sure that you sign up for the empowerment notes and that you get a once a week empowerment right delivered to you. So let's dive in with the amazing Ian Altman, who has been a CEO for two decades. And Ian started, sold and grew his business service and technology companies from zero to over $1 billion in value. Yeah, that's right. Over $1 billion in value from zero. And as you know, I would love for you to think, well, if he can do it, there must be a way you can do it if it's aligned with your goals. But how can you take it to your next level? His modern approach to sales and marketing is known for helping organizations around the world achieve explosive growth. A leading authority on accelerating business growth, Ian is currently recognized as one of the 30 global gurus on sales. He's a co-author of the best-selling book and an amazing one, just from my side to add, called Same Side Selling. And he hosts the weekly Same Side Selling podcast, and you can read hundreds of articles on Forbes and Inc. Hi, Ian. I am so excited to have you on Heart Sales Podcast today. Uh, welcome. Christine, thanks for having me here. Yes, and I'm, I'm so excited about our conversation because we both love sales and you have been in the industry for years. And, uh, you know, when I read more about you, when I did my research, uh, my chin really dropped realizing that I'm going to talk to one of the 30 global gurus on sales today. This is so, super exciting. Yeah, you know what? It's kind of an interesting thing. That global gurus piece just was kind of a surprise to us that all of a sudden they said, oh, yeah, here you are in this global gurus. And we didn't know what it was, but it's a flattering thing that, that your peers and other people thought to nominate you for something that you didn't really know existed. Yeah, but that's, that's so cool. And it, I mean, it, it shows like you, you produced or helped companies and clients produce such amazing results where we not just talk about, well, you know, I increased my revenue a little bit. I mean, we are talking about huge jumps, like explosive business. So I I'm, I'm really, really want to know, obviously, with these results being like a sales guru, you're so confident. Has this always been this way? Um, you know what? I think that every one of us has gaps where we're not as confident. 
And so sometimes it's very misleading because you see somebody, if they're on a list, if their book is doing well, if I'm keynoting at a conference, it's easy for someone to look and say, oh, well, it's easy for this person because everything goes great. And there were also times where I was running companies and things weren't going so great. There were times where I remember my first company, we all of a sudden realized at one point that over 80% of our business came from one client. So you talk about not having confidence. We were constantly petrified. Every time the phone rang with their number, we were afraid that they were going to be telling us, okay, we're done with you. And so there are always different things that happen. And I just think that fundamentally it comes down to as long as you take some personal responsibility and realize that we're in control of our own lives and what we do, then we can probably work our way out of just about any situation. But um, that, that element of, of confidence, I think you need to have a certain degree of confidence. And I think when people have a process and a system, it gives you something to follow. And you just need to sometimes be able to separate the difference between discovering if somebody is a fit, let's say in a, in a sales role, not thinking of it as rejection if something doesn't go well, but realizing that maybe it just wasn't a good fit at that moment with that client. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally believe that looking for the fit and not taking it personal is such an important piece that uh, I, I would guess everybody learns the hard way. When we get our first no's and rejection, it really, really feels yucky. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's, that's part of in Same Side Selling, part of what we write about. I co-wrote Same Side Selling with my friend Jack Quarles. And Jack spent two decades in purchasing a procurement. So he's on the buyer side. And what we talk about is that it's more about finding the fit, almost like putting two puzzle pieces together rather than trying to convince somebody of something else. And when we take that approach, what we tend to do is overcome those adversarial traps. So there are things that salespeople have been taught to do for years. They weren't born coming up with these ideas, but they were taught to apply pressure. And none of us likes to feel like we're being sold to. None of us likes to feel pressure. And so when we do those things, we trigger a response that we don't like. And instead, if everything's integrity-based, then your client says, wow, this is the person I would prefer to work with instead of this is the person who I'm forced to work with. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love your approach. And maybe we can just dive into your book. I mean, I have so many questions. Sure. <laughs> but you, you just mentioned what I really, what really stuck out to me was that you're not talking about, you know, there's a saying, um, sales is a game, right? And says it's a numbers game and just have to call enough people. And, you know, one person is eventually going to say yes. And for so many people, that's off-putting because it feels heavy and really have to work hard. And it's not, it's not fun. And you talk about sales as a puzzle. And yes. I, just, I just love the idea. So can you give us a little bit more yeah, information on how, how you discovered that? and why you think that's true. Of course, of course. Almost every book that's ever been written about sales either uses a game metaphor or uses a battle metaphor. And in the game metaphor, there's a winner and a loser. And in a battle metaphor, the loser dies. And then we yeah. wonder why if we follow one of those metaphors, we wonder why our clients end up in, in an adversarial position to us. So in most cases, you, you visualize a buyer and seller in a meeting on opposite sides of the table. And instead what we say is, look, it really comes down to finding a fit between metaphorically two puzzle pieces. So if you think about it, 
you know, you're walking around with a set of puzzle pieces and so is somebody else and you're trying to find the people where those puzzle pieces match. And when you put everything together, it creates a beautiful picture. So if someone doesn't need what you're selling, if you just try and force the pieces in, maybe with a, maybe with a sharp object, you can, you can shave things down and get them to fit, but the picture's not going to come together anyhow. So if you think about that metaphorically, then what happens is we're now more inquisitive. So now we're asking people, gee, what do your pieces look like? So I can determine whether or not my pieces fit with your puzzle. And if, and if not, I don't feel a sense of rejection. I just realize that we don't have the same puzzle and that's okay. So now I'm just seeking people who have similar puzzle pieces that I do that can all fit together. And it just, it lowers the pressure associated with sales from persuasion and coercion. Instead, it just comes down to fit, which really ties into your whole message of heart sells. I mean, it's, it's that whole idea of you're actually doing what's in the best interest of your client, which in turn results in business for you, as opposed to, can I sell somebody something they may or may not need? Yeah, yeah, that's so true. And when you just talked about the puzzle, I had this picture seeing like a little child trying to put a puzzle together and sometimes they smash the pieces yeah, exactly. to make it fit because they haven't figured out how that works. And then hopefully a very knowing adult steps in and shows them like, honey, this is not working. You have to go talk, take it over here, see the picture. And they, they give them the idea that you can do it in a gentle way. So exactly. you're basically, you're talking about you know, not forcing, just seeing where the pieces click. And I think that's such a beautiful metaphor when we, when we think about putting ourselves out there, which sometimes is scary because sometimes it might be a difficult situation or we, we don't really know if that is the ideal client. And I always talk about soulmate clients, yep. like somebody who I wouldn't want in my home or who I wouldn't want to have dinner with especially for the one-on-one coaching, I, I don't want to work with them. So yep. just make sure that this is aligned and the puzzle idea is so perfect. So whenever you have the situation that you are not quite sure if the puzzle fits or you get rejected, then the puzzle didn't fit and it's easier to handle the situation. Yeah, and it doesn't mean that those people will never have the right puzzle pieces for you. It means that at this moment they don't have them. Yeah. So one of the, one of the things is that, so that metaphor resonates with people. And then the next question usually people have is, okay, so let's say I assume that this puzzle, these puzzle pieces, that's the right metaphor. So I can't just call somebody up and say, Hey, what are your puzzle pieces? So they, they want to know how do I take it from concept to actually application? If you want, we can go there. Oh, I'd love to go there. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm quite sure that's what the audience wants to know. Well, now they have the picture, <laughs> they yep. see the puzzle and they're wondering like, where do I get those clients that fit? So, so one of the things that we often are taught in sales is this idea of our pitch. And so people often pitch their features and benefits. Hmm. Here's what I sell. And the reality is that I've done research with over 10,000 CEOs and executives around the world on how they make and approve decisions. And I put them in this scenario and, and a very specific scenario of you've got something that someone on your team wants to buy. It costs $20,000. What are the five questions you have to ask to make an informed decision to approve or deny that request? And the funny part is never is the question, what is it or how does it work? 
what people want to know is it comes down to, I actually haven't come up with five questions and we narrow it down to three and it's the same three across t over 10,000 people, which is what problem does this solve or why do we need it? That's, that's kind of the first question. It's a compound question. The second one is what's the likely result or outcome, which is kind of your ROI return investment question. And then the third one is what are the alternatives? So those three come up consistently, whether it's big companies, small companies, no matter where it is in the world, the same questions come up. So what we need to get better at is describing the problems or challenges that we solve rather than what it is that we do. Mm. So for example, if somebody's selling, um, if somebody is selling marketing services, rather than saying, oh, we're a digital marketing firm and, he, and what we do is advertising and promotion and this and that, it's going to sound like everybody else. Instead, if the digital marketer thought about the problems they solve, they would say, well, our clients come to us when their message falls on deaf ears, when their inferior competitors are getting more attention than they are, when they have the greatest thing on the planet, but nobody knows about it. And so now someone who's facing that problem has their interest peaked and they say, I want to learn more about what these people do. Yeah. But first we have to entice their interest with the problems that we solve. So it's, it's what my friend Bob London refers to as tapping into people's elevator rants instead of the elevator pitch. So the elevator rant is if your ideal client and someone on their team, if they were, if they were discussing a problem in their business that you might be able to solve, what would it sound like? What would they be complaining about that's worth solving? Mm. And so once we tap into the problems that we solve, then we're just saying, hey, here are the problems we solve. Do you know someone who might be facing that? Do you know one or two people might be facing it? If the person you're talking to is facing those challenges, they say, yeah, I know someone, me. And if they don't, then they say, you know what? We're not having that problem, but I know somebody who is. And it all of a sudden opens up new opportunities you would never have before. And guess what? Now we're seeking challenges we can solve rather than seeking someone who's going to buy from us. And so we don't come across as somebody who's selling. Yeah. Yeah. I love this approach going for the results that you offer. Like, for example, a big chunk of, of my audience, you know, they have their stomachs turned when they think about sales. Sure. Or they stammer on their words or they are afraid or fearful. So really helping them to shift that mindset. What, what kind of steps would you advise if they are in this situation that they think, you know, just having the conversation, I'm freaking out? Yep. Well, what, what, I, want, what I want people to think about is, so that client who's facing that problem, what happens if they don't solve that? So think of it almost like a doctor. So I have a patient who has these symptoms that might be an indication of a serious condition. And I know that I have a treatment for that condition. So am I, am I quote, selling something or doing something dishonest if I help them? Not at all. In fact, you're doing them a great service. Okay. Now, if I'm prescribing a treatment or a medication for a problem that doesn't exist, that's a totally different story. But that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is how do I, how do I figure out whether or not they have a problem worth solving? And then I need to understand what success looks like for them. And then I need to do a little soul searching and make sure that I feel confident that I can deliver the results that they need. So in the book, one of the, one of the new components of the book in uh, the second edition of Same Side Selling, it's the one with the red cover, is this notion of we, we, we call it the same side quadrants. And the idea is that on a blank sheet of paper, people draw a vertical line down the center of the page, a horizontal line across, creating four quadrants. 
it's a method for taking notes in a meeting to make sure we focus on the right things. So in the upper left quadrant, people take notes about the initial issue that the client raised. The upper right is what we call impact and importance. And the questions we ask there are things like, so what happens if you don't solve that? So for example, in the marketing example, so what happens if you, if you don't capture the attention of these people? What happens if you continue to not be top of mind for your prospects and clients? Well, we'll lose market share. We could lose money. Really, how many opportunities do you think you're missing? So that the client understands what, it re what really happens if they don't solve it. Then the lower left quadrant is what we call results. And so that's what we ask the client. So just because you pay us money doesn't mean we're successful. What can we measure together six months down the road, a year down the road, so that we know we were successful? Because I want to make sure that we can all feel that we're accountable to those results. And then we start writing down that kind of information. The last quadrant, the lower right quadrant, is what we call others impacted. And that's where we figure out who else isn't in the, involved right now who might need to be. So we ask questions like, who else would have an opinion about how we measure impact? Who else would have an opinion about the results? Because if we ask them, who's the decision maker, you could ask the janitor and they're always going to say me. But if you ask them who else might be impacted, who else involved, then you get to an honest answer. And that structure gives us a way to ensure that we focus on the things that actually move the needle in the sales world. Yeah, yeah. And, and you said such an important thing, asking for the decision maker, right? Or asking for the people who influence the buying process is so, so key. And I see that often that people just talk to somebody. And I know from my past corporate experience, sometimes, you know, they had the VA and you ask her, well, are you making a decision on this one? She's like, yes. And you know exactly she doesn't at all. Right? Exactly. But, and, and so the challenge is if we ask it that way, if we say, who's involved in this decision, it shows that our focus is the sale. But instead, if I said, so, okay, gee, so who else would have an opinion? Who else is most directly impacted by this? Mm. Guess what? The people most directly impacted are definitely going to have to be involved. The people who are going to care most about the results are definitely going to be involved in the decision. So we're just asking in a different way to get the right information. And it makes it much less intimidating because then once they say, well, this person, that person, then we get to ask one of my favorite questions, which is, so what's the best way for us to include them in this discussion in a way that's comfortable for you? So it's not, how do I talk to them? It's what's the best way for us together on the same side of the table to include them in a way that's comfortable for you. And it makes it so it's non-threatening and it, it, it can lead to dramatic success. But those quadrants give us a template, if you will, for conducting a meeting. Because if I take my notes in those quadrants, it takes me a fraction of a second looking at the sheet of paper to realize that I forgot to cover one of the quadrants. As opposed to most people, they take a meeting and after the meeting they say, oh my God, it was the most amazing meeting. It was incredible. We were supposed to meet for only 15 minutes, but the meeting lasted for an hour. And the two of us, man, we got together, we just totally clicked. And we've agreed that next week, the meeting went so well that we're going to meet again. And people in sales think that's the definition of a great meeting. And it would be a great meeting if it had been set up on an online dating site. <laughs> but it's not a great business meeting. <laughs> and so we want to give a framework that helps people determine what's a good business meeting and you'll get it from those quadrants.
Oh, I just, I just love that. Well, I just want to make sure like the book, the links, everything is going to be in the show notes of the podcast, but people can also go to ianaltman.com and uh, get more information because I think that's gold. Like if I would have known <laughs> like 10 years ago, I'm sure like the way to ask and using those quadrants, you know, I used to just make notes. Sure. And then you had like, you know, I had kind of a system how I made them. But as you said, well, sometimes you forgot to talk about something or you didn't go deep enough. And using the quadrants, you know, you will know exactly what to still cover before you leave the meeting to make sure you got all your points. Exactly. It gives you something that you can quickly point to. And here's the thing. I teach this every week. I write about it. I speak about it all over the world. There are times where I'm speaking with somebody about an opportunity and I look down at the quadrants and realize I forgot to cover one of the, <laughs> one of the quadrants. And I teach this all the time. So it's not like a remedial tool. It's designed for top performers who may be focused and they're having a great conversation. They realize, oh, I haven't gotten to these key questions. And so that notion of just having that structure, it's funny, it wasn't in the original version of Same Side Selling. We added it in the second edition because as I was working with organizations and telling them what to focus on, they would say, wait, what are the four things again? And so I was sitting with a client and literally said, well, just think of like four things. And I just drew a vertical line, horizontal line, and I wrote them down and looked at it and said, wow, that would be really helpful. And that's, that's, and that's how we came to it. And then it was people said, well, what questions do I ask in each quadrant? And we create these journals so that it prompts them for the questions in each quadrant. They're watermarked on the page and things like that. So it just really helps them just to stay focused and doing the right things. Oh, I, I, I love that. I love the support because I know that in a conversation, you can get carried away, right? You know, one thing leads to the next. It's not always as well structured as you think you can make it when you go in yeah. because you know it's two people having a conversation so you never know where you're going to end up and having that visual support knowing that once you covered all those pieces then you had a good meeting exactly and then, then you can uh you know win the new client or be sure that your offer like hits the mark because you included everything that's so important and, and one other thing, you will also realize quickly who's not a good fit. And yes. that's okay. So yeah. the thing is that we have to recognize that in sales, more than half the people we speak with are likely not a good fit for what we do. So our job is to get to the truth as quickly as possible and realize that it's equally helpful when you find out that someone's not a good fit as when we find out that they are a good fit. Mm. So when did you came about that idea that you need to qualify maybe faster. Because well, I, often, I think, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, well, often people spend so much time with the wrong people. And yeah. I, I think especially when you're starting out or when you, you know, still a couple of years into business, you still fall into this trap of spending time with somebody that's just not a match. Well, I, I think what, what happens is that because people didn't really have a structure to do this, the people in sales are always wondering, gee, I, I wonder if, the, if this client is going to move forward. I, I wonder if they're really interested in what we do. I wonder if, if they're going to spend the money. And instead of wondering, if you ask the right questions, you'll know. And the funny part is that your client or prospect, if you ask the right questions, 
actually, you started, you started our discussion asking about confidence. Their confidence in you will increase because they say, wow, this person is asking great questions, helping us establish a business case for whether or not we should do this. So, for example, one of the things that my clients have been trained to ask their prospects is, well, so it, you mentioned you have this problem. Do, do you think it's really worth solving? And then they'll say, oh, yeah, definitely. Really? Why? And because we're not only trying to convince ourselves, we're trying to help the client convince themselves. So we want the client to say, yeah, this is worth solving and here's why. Because if they can't convince us, they're never going to be able to convince the person who has to approve the purchase. Yeah. It's our job in, in a consultative capacity to mutually build a business case that ensures that they get the funding to solve the problem that's worth solving. Mm. Brilliant. Or if they, if they are in charge of the budget, they can sure. move forward, right? And they know that you are the right person to do it with. Yeah, budget is the one of the most misleading piece of information because people can have a budget, but aren't convinced that the problem is worth solving, so they won't spend the money. And if the problem is big enough, organizations will find the money that was never budgeted. Yeah. So qualifying on budget is kind of an old school approach qualifying using these quadrants is the more modern approach. And we love modern approaches. <laughs> we hope so. Yeah, it's a, different, it's a different way of selling. And I think people do connect with, you know, staying in their hearts, being true the, to themselves, being authentic. Um, they don't really want to become this other person that just, you know, collects the deals and the money. Exactly. Oh, wonderful. Well, I, I just, you know, time flies <laughs> speaking to you. There's so much more knowledge that I would love to go into. So I'm really excited that we will have a second interview. So just want to make sure that people can have a look at ianaltman.com. And I will also put everything in the show notes so that um, they can connect with you and get the new version of your book with more amazing, well, not secrets, but, you know, things that have developed in it in case they have already the old version. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for being here. Christine, thank you so much. Well, first of all, I'm happy that Ian is going to be back for the next episode. You make sure that you watch out for that episode. It's episode number 94. And if you have not yet subscribed, just subscribe to the podcast and please leave a rating and review as well. Because once you subscribe, you get the notifications and you will never, ever miss an episode again. I just love the conversation about sales being a puzzle. I think that can really help you to shift your mindset because, you know, once you are the missing piece for your customer, things will just change. So hop on over to christineschlonsky.com, sign up for the empowerment notes, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and definitely make sure you are tuning in for the next episode. Thank you so, so much for being here. I appreciate you. Please ask yourself, what can you do to get better results in sales? So basically my little challenge to you for this week is journal about how can you be the missing puzzle for your client. Do you find five to 10 reasons what makes you the missing puzzle piece? Have a wonderful day wherever you are in this beautiful world and I'm saying bye for now.